0: with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to look at the case of Navigators Insurance Company Limited and Atlas Navios Navigasal LDA, and the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 26. And we're getting into shipping law this week, and while that tends to have its own unique legal regime, we will see that, in this case at least, there is a strong relationship with insurance, contract, and the law of tort. The ship in question is called the B-Atlantic and was owned by Atlas Navios. In August 2007, a drug gang used the ship to try and export cocaine from Venezuela by strapping it to the hull of the vessel. This attempt failed before it began as the ship was detained before even leaving Venezuela. The problem is that ships can remain in detention for a long time but the insurance contract made provision for this in clause three so that after six months the vessel could be considered a constructive total loss and the owner could recover. You might be tempted to think that that is it then, but as is often the case with insurers, things are not so simple and there are a couple of provisions in the contract that we need to be aware of. On the one hand there is an exclusion clause at 4.1.5 such that the policy excludes any detainment that occurred because, quote, of infringement of any customs or trading regulations, end quote. On the other hand, clause 1.5 states the insurance does cover loss caused by, quote, any person acting maliciously, end quote. The question then is how these clauses interact. Does the exclusion simply apply and the owners are unable to recover, or does the exclusion not extend to those malicious acts that are outside of the control of anyone? The High Court took a sympathetic view towards the ship owners and held that the action of the drug smugglers should not affect the ability to recover. The Court of Appeal disagreed and held that even though there were undoubtedly malicious acts by a third party, in line with clause 1.5, that does not change the applicability of the Exclusion Clause 4.1.5. When the case went to the Supreme Court, the justices began with an unusual revelation. In the run-up to the case, it had been accepted by both sides that the smugglers had been acting maliciously for the purpose of Clause 1.5. But the Supreme Court disagreed with this approach. No, this doesn't mean that the senior judiciary have suddenly taken a much more liberal view towards drugs, but rather they thought much more carefully about the definition of malice. For us to consider this, think about the circumstances in which someone would be acting maliciously towards you. Say the person next to you on the train deliberately refused to move their massive bag when you were trying to get past. That would be malicious because they are doing something to deliberately spite you. Now say that they deliberately pile that massive bag on top of your box that is marked fragile. Again, even though this is directed at your property rather than your person, it is still malicious towards you in a general sense. However, what about if this annoying person had stolen something from another passenger? and fearing they would get caught, hid the stolen item in your bag. They have certainly acted against your property, but it is hard to describe this as malicious because it does not appear to be directly targeted at you with any degree of spite. They were looking for somewhere to hide the stolen goods and your bag just happened to be the closest. A parallel can be drawn with this case. The people who were trying to smuggle cocaine were not trying to get the ship detained or acting maliciously against the ship owners. In fact, they had a vested interest in the ship not being detained. To provide legal authority for this interpretation, the justices turned to something called the Institute Clauses, that are standard clauses in the marine insurance contracts. The people who drafted these clauses in the first place would not have been thinking about situations like this case, when using words such as acting maliciously. Instead, they would have had in mind third parties who were directly damaging the vessel through their actions. This interpretation appears to be confirmed by some of the earlier case law, such as the Mandarin Star in 1968 and the Salem in 1982, that held malice requires an element of spite like we mentioned previously. The justices could have just left it there, but thankfully they did also address the issue around clause 4.1.5 as well, and decided that the exclusion clause would still have had effect even if there had been a malicious act against the ship. Remember that clause 1 sets out the events that the insurance covers, but that is explicitly quote, subject to the exclusions, end quote. Any attempt to try and read the wording so that a meaningful distinction is drawn between the malicious act that would allow for a claim and the infringement of customs regulations that is excluded simply does not work because they both revolve around the same event. Where there are two causes of loss, it is not up to the courts to choose one of them, but rather to apply an interpretation that gives the best meaning to the words in the context of the contract. In this case, it was the breach of customs regulations that directly led to the detainment of the ship, and that is why the insurance claim would fail, even if the actions of the smugglers were deemed to be malicious. When it comes to reviewing this case, the starting point has to be that in an ideal world, there would be consistent enforcement of contracts by the courts, save for some rare scenarios where there might have to be intervention and this is certainly true in the commercial sector more than any other. The problem is that the facts and the contract in this case show just how hard it can be to give meaning to the terms and conditions of an agreement. The institute clauses have been around for decades, and yet there are still open questions of interpretation that are seen in different ways by the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court. Overall, the approach to the phrase acting maliciously by the Supreme Court does make sense when you think about it, but it is still quite a harsh and restrictive interpretation that serves the insurance industry a lot more than ship owners. In any case, the upholding of the exclusion clause is right. The contract clearly says that infringement of a customs or trading regulation will preclude a claim, and ultimately it was that that caused the loss. It might be thought that the operation of the contract in this way is again quite harsh, but it does fit with the general aim of marine insurance, where insurers are offering protection against a quite specific and limited range of so-called perils. Widening this would likely put the cost of insurance up, and arguably reduce the measures that ship owners might take to protect their vessels from this type of situation in the future. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of the podcast. Thanks as ever to BenSound.com who provide the awesome theme music. Remember, if you do want to find out more about me and my work, then you can either visit me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Cleaver, or just go directly to my website, uklawweekly.com, where you can still pick up your free ebook on how to answer problem questions. I'll be back with another episode next week, but in the meantime, bye!